I'm not sure what kind of vacation spot it was. Um, some kind of hotel or some kind of resort. I'm not exactly sure. He didn't really make that clear, but you know, maybe it's a timeshare opportunity. I'm not exactly sure, but but he went in and she was there. Uh, some of the people told him that uh, every employee in our company, I don't care whether it's the CEO or a middle manager or whether it's a maid or a cook or a waitress, I, I, don't, I don't care who it is, everybody in our company, in our organization, knows what our, our mission statement is as, as an organization. And so somehow this, this went on and so he told us, his pastor did, that he tested it and, and he tried it. He says, is this, really, is this really true? And sure enough, in his conversations, he engaged with the employees around. Uh, every single one of them, right on the tip of their tongue, they knew uh, what the mission statement of their organization was. And, and uh, the argument was, if everyone knows the mission they're on, it really helps everyone moving together and everyone to work together towards a common goal. And that was fine. And then he turned to us pastors he was speaking to and, and he said, well, how well do the people of your church know the mission of your church? And at that point, I was really cut to my heart and kind of said, hmm, we don't really have any kind of specific mission to church that we can just, just say. And I know I was cut to the heart because, I mean, that's my responsibility to really round us up a, a vision, a mission together. And I've just, I've not worked to instill a, a simple saying that just, we can filter everything through. It says, this is what Rock Valley Bible Church is about. And so this morning, really, I want to change that. I want to just give you a phrase to help us know what the mission of our church is. And, and my aim is that all of you might leave this place today knowing what Rock Valley Bible Church is, what our what our mission is, what our vision is as a church, and be able to repeat it to anyone who asks. And uh, probably in weeks to come, it'll probably take some effort to kind of remind us of that, but I, I think we can. It's pretty easy. Now, in one regard, we, we don't say things all the same way, but you all know what church is and what it's about, what we're seeking to do. I mean, it's not like we're clueless, kind of floating around there without anything going on. I mean, you all know that that we, we're seeking to, to worship God and really lift high the cross of Christ. I mean, we, we know that. And then we also know that a purpose of gathering together is really for fellowship and encouragement and help and love. Strengthen us. Each part of the body does its work. And we also know that, that it's part of our aim to go out and, and reach the world, whether it's Rockford, whether it's Illinois, United States, or beyond, whatever. We, we know that that's our, our aim. And any one of you know that. So what I'm telling you today isn't new on, on that regard. But in terms of a, of a short statement that's kind of well thought through, that's really helpful to memorize, we, we don't have that. There are lots of churches say it lots of different ways. Like I, I know one church that says our, the mission of our church is to reach up and worship to God and reach in to care and love for the saints and reach out to the world. It's a great way to say it. Reaching up, reaching in and reaching out. It's a great way to say it. Uh, another church say it this way, that our, our mission is to exalt the Savior, to equip the saints, and to evangelize the lost. It's a good way to say it. We can say it that way. Um, some say it this way, that our mission is simply to love God and to love men. And by loving men, obviously, it's saved and unsaved, trying to seek the saved, unsaved to come in. You could come up with different ways to say it. You could say, it. well, our, our aim is to know Christ and to make Him known. 
You could say we do that through different ways. We, we win people, we build them, and we send people. So win, build, send. That's a way to say it. You could say it, come, grow, and go. All these ways are fine to say. I just want to propose a way for us to say it. Now, it's not an inspired way at all. These words even aren't original to me. Uh, they came about when I was um, reading this book to my family. I just want to read the paragraphs that really, when I hit that, um, I said, you know what, those would be good words for us at Rock Valley Bible Church. Uh, David Platt uh, wrote this book. It's a, it's a good book. It's a challenging book. I dare you to read it. It's called Radical. It speaks about taking back your faith from the American dream. Just calling us to biblical Christianity. It's been good for our family. But he says this, Consider why God formed us in the first place. As the self-sufficient God of the universe, He certainly had no unmet need in Himself, so why did He create us? Now, the last thing I want to do is to presume to know exhaustively the mind and motives of God, nor do I want to oversimplify His ways, but it seems that God tells us why He made us. There's a twofold purpose evident from the beginning of history. On the one hand, we were created by God to enjoy His grace. Apart from everything else God created, we were made in His image. And we alone have the capacity to enjoy God in intimate relationship with Him. The first word the Bible uses to describe that relationship is blessing. God blessed the human race, not because of any merit or inherent worth in us, but simply out of pure, unadulterated grace. God created humankind to enjoy His grace. But that was not the end of the story because on the other hand, God immediately followed His blessing with a command. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. God gave His people an image for a reason so they might multiply His image throughout the world. He created human beings not only to enjoy His grace in relationship with Him, but also to extend His glory to the ends of the earth. Simple enough. Enjoy His grace and extend His glory. This is the twofold purpose behind the creation of the human race in Genesis 1, and it sets the stage for an entire book that revolves around the same purpose. In every genre of biblical literature and in every stage of biblical history, God is seen pouring out His grace on His people for the sake of His glory among all peoples. I got done reading that, and I remember just stopping right there, and I can't remember exactly what I said, but I, but I said something like, that's really good. That's really good. That we enjoy His grace and we extend His glory. I kind of thought there and, and thought, you know what, that, if, if that wrap, wraps up every genre of biblical literature and every stage of biblical history, like he says, which is true, I believe, that in those stages, God is seen pouring out His grace on His people for the sake of His glory among all peoples. I thought, if that really is an overarching theme of the Scriptures, and that really is a nice way to say things, a nice way to put it in our minds, I thought, you know, could this work for us, the church, just as something to rally around? And I think it is. Rock Valley Bible Church exists to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. That's what we're about. That's a, just a different way to say it. There's nothing inspired about that. 
But I do think it's something that we can rally around. And this morning, what I want to do is more exposit those words, exposit that phrase to dig it deep into you. Um, our time in the Scripture is going to be a lot different than normal. Normally, just open a passage of Scripture, work through a passage, and then pick up the next passage next week. We do that enough. I think you can excuse me one Sunday of not doing that. We're going to be biblical, but we're not going to just look at one particular passage. We'll look at several passages. Um, but this is what we're going to do. We are going to just press on Rock Valley Bible Church, enjoying His grace and extending His glory. I, I, I do believe that's the, the theme of, of all genres of Scripture, whether it's from the time of creation, the time of the patriarchs, the time of the kings, the time of the church. That is how God works. He pours out His grace upon a people so that then His glory can be extend, extended to more people. And I want for us at Rock Valley Bible Church to be like the employees of that hotel or resort who when asked can say, well, what's your church about? Each of us can say Rock Valley Bible Church exists to enjoy the grace of God and to extend the glory of God. I want all of you to be able to... In fact, can you say that? Rock Valley Bible Church exists to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. Now, this statement does have disadvantages, all right? Uh, has disadvantage in the fact it doesn't say everything about us as a church. I mean, I, I think of some of the key areas of belief of our church. It doesn't have it. It's not there. I mean, there's no mention of the cross. There's no mention of Christ per se and persona. No mention really of God if we say enjoy His grace. We can say it different ways. We enjoy the grace of God, extend the glory of God. We can do that. Enjoy the grace of Christ, extend the glory of Christ. I mean, it, it can all it can all work there, but enjoy grace and extend glory are really your, your key words. Nor is it helpful in terms of exact things that we do. It doesn't speak at all about what exactly we do, but that's the case with all mission, vision and mission statements that you sacrifice the details for the sake of brevity. And in this case, as I read that from uh, David Platt, I thought, wow, there, there's a lot of key words in here that are very helpful for us. As we think about, um, as we think about Rock Valley Bible Church. Now, one of the things I think that's good about this, when we think about these words, enjoying grace, extending glory, is that there is a tie here to uh, historic purposes of the church. The Westminster Confession and Westminster Catechism, one of the, the most famous catechisms written up ever in the 1600s, been propagated in many different forms and many different other kind of catechisms. But the first question that's asked, parents training their children, says this, what's the chief end of man? And do you know what the chief end of man is? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. There's a mumble around. I think you're all there. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him together. Right? You see some of these words that are there? What are some of the words that are similar? Glorify and enjoy. And, and, and I think that there is a, is a tie there um, that's good in these words if we talk about enjoying His grace and extending His glory Still, the same ideas are, are very much there. But this, this phrase of Westminster Catechism has been very calculated. It's stood the test of time. Many people have memorized this for generations to come. The chief end of man is to glorify God, is to believe in Him, to worship Him, to proclaim Him and His worth to all who are here. But, but that's not all. It's not, just, it's not just glorifying God. It's also enjoying God. There is this aspect of joy and happiness in delighting in God, in finding our happiness and our contentment in Him. We are to be satisfied in Him. 
And I think the way that John Piper speaks about these phrases at the beginning of his book, Desiring God, are, are very good. I just want to read the introduction of this book. It's a good book, Desiring God. He says this in the introduction. He says, You might turn the world on its head by changing one word in your creed. The old tradition says, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And, like ham and eggs, sometimes you glorify God and sometimes you enjoy Him. Sometimes He gets glory and sometimes you get joy. And is a very ambiguous word. Just how do these two things relate to each other? Evidently, Piper continues, the old theologians didn't think they were talking about two things. He said, chief end. Not chief ends. Glorifying God and enjoying Him were one end in their minds, not two. How can that be? Well, that's what this book is about, he says. Not that I care too much about the intention of 17th century theologians, but I care tremendously about the intention of God in Scripture. What does God have to say about the chief end of man? How does God teach us to give Him glory? Does He command us to enjoy Him? If so, how does this quest for joy in God relate to everything else? Yes, everything, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. The overriding concern of this book is that in all of life, God be glorified the way that He Himself has appointed And to that end, this book aims to persuade you that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Think about that. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. I think Piper is exactly right. Many of you know how he says it. You listen to him enough. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. In other words, God gets most glory in himself when we find our most satisfaction in life in the things of God and the things of him. We find so much of our happiness and our joy in God that we are compelled to give him glory. Innerly from our delight and our desires and our passions, not externally coerced in, in any way. Let, let me illustrate what he's talking about. Think about a, um, a conductor in a symphony. You're the audience. The orchestra is back here. I've been conducting the orchestra. This beautiful piece of music. It's crescendoing. It's tearing at all your hearts. It's lifting you to praise. It's bringing you minor keys to sorrow. It's, it's loud and it's soft and it's going through. And just a masterful piece that it all puts together. And in the end, when he finally finishes, there's the last boom. He turns around and the whole audience spontaneously, as, as if lost in themselves, stands up and just yells and cheers and, and whistles and just out of exuberant joy, the music has made them so happy that they, the, whole, the whole audience just, just is so happy. And, and the conductor then is, is, is bowing in, in his glory and the orchestra. Contrast that too. Similar event. The orchestra is there. The, the band is playing. 
And they're playing, they're playing fine, they're playing nicely, but it's not quite moving you so much, but it, it was pretty good. And he turns around, finishes, the last note was struck, turns around, finishes, and there's a golf clap. But, but then it starts crescendoing a little bit more, and then, and then someone stands up in the second row, and then someone stands up in the fifth row, and then, and then pretty soon everyone's standing up and kind of giving a standing ovation. What's happened? Standing ovation both times. But when is the conductor most glorified? Obviously, when there's a, a stir from the heart rather than, oh, everyone else is standing up, I guess I'll, I'll stand up and give my... Where with God, it's the same thing, right? God, God can be worshipped in different ways. He can be worshipped out of obligation, out of duty, but when He's worshipped out of delight, that's when God is most exalted. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Or you think about a marriage, it works the same way. When is a wife most loved? It's when a husband has a multiplicity of things to do. Whether going bowling with friends or watching the game on television or going to the speedway or test driving a car at the dealership or taking a motorcycle ride or working in the shop. It's not that those things are wrong in themselves, but when the husband just has this desire, says, boy, all those things I could do, but there's nothing that makes me happier than be home with Yvonne. I just want to spend my time with you. That's where I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere else. I want to be there. In other words, when a husband shows his love for his wife, when she is the supreme object of his affections and desires, right? Rather than roses of obligation, roses of delight. Rather than dinner, oh, it's our anniversary, I guess we need to go out. Surprises, thinkings. You know, that's when a, a wife is most glorified. And so likewise, with, with God, when He's, he's worshipped, from an inner heart and delight and desire, that's when He receives most glory. But sad, lifeless, heartless worship brings little glory to God. And when the multitudes are eminently happy in God, worshiping out of sheer delight, saying things like, a day in your courts are better than a thousand elsewhere. And when they say, one thing I have asked of the Lord, and that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in His temple. Those are the sorts of things that give God most glory when we say, there's nothing else I want but to be in His presence. Because... When God is worshipped like that, it shows He's not created just a mindless multitude to chant mantras of praise to Him. That's what's wrong with much religion. Just mantras. It shows that God has created a multitude when He's worshipped that way that have found Him sufficient to satisfy all their deepest longings of their hearts. And when they worship God out of sheer delight, God is is most glorified in us and we're most satisfied in Him. If you've not thought about that phrase at all, I encourage you to really think about it. It has really helped to transform my life in terms of understanding Christianity, to understand that I need to find my delight in desiring God above all things. And that's when God is most glorified. Well, the phrase that we're considering this morning, enjoy His grace to extend His glory, enjoy His grace and extend His glory, has these same elements in it. It's got enjoyment. It's got grace. It's got glory. I mean, I mean all of these. And so what I want to do this morning is just take apart these four big words. 
Enjoy grace, extend glory. Just kind of have us think about it a little bit. And then I want to go to the Scriptures to show how it's all over the Scriptures. And I'm sure I'll run out of time. Um, I'll run way out of time. So we'll get to what we can. But I just want to take each of these, each of these phrases first. Let's talk about this word enjoy. <clears throat> there's anything I want to see at Rock Valley Bible Church. It's this flavor of Christianity that's happy and joyful. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> because a frumpy Christianity that worships and serves God out of duty is dishonoring to the Lord. And there is some frumpy Christianity out there. There's a big difference between saying, well, I have to go to church today. It's my duty. As opposed to, I can't wait to be among the people of God to worship God. And that's the kind of a body I want to see at Rock Valley Bible Church. It just says, there's no place I'm going to be. And then that's like solves all church attendance problems. When it's a delight to be there, and that's the delight and the passion of your heart, you'll, you'll be there. Say amen. Uh, and if you know me through the years, I'm not, I'm, I'm not just corkscrewing you down. Hey, let's be here. Let's be at that event. It's up to you. But I desire this happiness that can't, can't keep us away. Because you can be detached and burdensome and have church be like that, have God be like that. Oh, I'm going to read my Bible because God says read my Bible. Or you can read your Bible and say, this is God's love letter to me. Why would I not read it? Oh, I have a chance to, to listen to something. Am I going to listen to the radio? Am I going to listen to profitable, helpful things, a message, Christian music, something to build? What am I going to, my delight is in God, so I'm going to naturally desire the things of Him. Um, and it can be a way in which we can communicate then with the world around us where true joy is. It's in God. It's in people. And when you have that, it can be contagious and people can catch on to that. I had the opportunity this week to speak with two older women. One was telling me about her church. And this is, this is about what she said. It's the flavor of what she said. It's not exactly her words. I can't remember quite her words. But she said something to this effect. He says, you know, I've been going to my church for many, many years, like decades. And that's just, that's my church and that's where I go. But you, you'd think I'd have some friends there. But I really, I really, I feel like an outsider still. Oh, maybe I should go to a different church. And I talked to another older woman who said, I love my church. The people are genuine. The love for Jesus is evident. They love each other. Why would it go anyplace else? Think about what that communicates of their heart, their joy in God. I mean, one has a, has a joy that God is working in there and the other is like a burden. Think about what that communicates to those who are outside the church. It's like, oh, church is a burden for you. Why would I want to? You've been there for decades. You don't have any friends. Why would I want to go there? But you go there and get loved? <laughs> I'm interested about that. It's the sort of Christianity I want to promote. God hasn't called us to be a disinterested people because we only obey because we have to obey. No, we're called to be joyful worshipers. Listen to Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord all of the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with joyful singing. Do you hear the joy in there? Three times. Come with gladness, with joy, with joyful singing. That's what God calls us to come to Him with a happiness and a joy, and a contentedness. Psalm 95, verse 1, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. 
There's a joy and a passion that comes, a joyful Christianity that I, I desperately want to promote here at Rock Valley Bible Church, that we might enjoy. Second word, grace. Let's talk about grace. I do think this is the thing that we enjoy at Rock Valley Bible Church. And this is a thing that we must enjoy. This word grace is one of our core commitments at Rock Valley Bible Church, a commitment to the doctrines of grace. It's a doctrine that says this, that God is absolutely sovereign and absolutely supreme in every way. Theologian um, Abraham Kuyper said it this way, there is not one square inch of the universe over which God doesn't say, Mine. R.C. Sproul says there's no maverick molecule in the entire universe because it's all under the sovereign dominion of God. All of His creation, animate and inanimate, the weather, the wind, the rain, the seas, the level of the seas, over the animals, over the angels, and God is sovereign over mankind as well. Daniel 4.34 35 says this, His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures forever. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, what have you done? Nobody can question God and say, God, what have you done? As Paul says in Romans 9, shall the potted things say back to the potter, why have you made me like this? can't do that. His sovereignty reaches over all and it even reaches to our salvation. God is sovereign in our salvation. He's the author of salvation. There are many texts of the Bible that says He's chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. The Scripture speaks how He's the one that grants repentance. He is the one that gives faith. He's the one that changes us from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ. He changes us from being blind to the spiritual realities of Jesus Christ to then seeing the light of the Gospel, the glory of God in the face of Christ. And He has done that all by His sheer grace. Unmerited by us. I mean, wasn't that the thrust of Philippians 3 I read this morning? Paul said, all these good things I've done, and yet whatever things were gained to me, I count as loss. There's nothing. And he says that I may be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, it's all grace, is what he was saying. And we at Rock Valley Bible Church embrace the doctrines of grace. And we embrace the fact that it's God's total grace why we're here this morning. It's God's total grace why any of us believe. It's God's total grace why any of us would turn from our sins and follow Him. It's what drives us, by the way, to serve the Lord because we enjoy His grace so much to us, we just, we just respond in like ways. Maybe you remember the parable told in Matthew chapter 18 where the, the man was forgiven a humongous debt. And then he couldn't forgive a little debt from someone else. And, and the story is about forgiveness. How many times should I forgive? And the idea is that we've been forgiven so much by God, it's incongruous for us not to forgive a little thing. We ought to be the most forgiving, the most gracious, the most kind people because we know the realities of God's grace to us. It's what drives us in our life. I remember a few years back having a visitor come to our church first Sunday and um, he came very excited about the things that he saw on the website, saw the church, and uh, was really excited. loved the fact that we're into the Bible. 
love the fact that every morning, except this morning, we, we open the Bible and, and work through it verse by verse. He, he, he loved the fact that you know, we weren't putting on a big show for people to just kind of come and enjoy and then, then go. He loved the fact that just with our, our youth, we're not trying to just have fun and games. We're trying to dig discipleship. And oh, everything good. I mean, total, total like praise. Oh, your church is wonderful. It's really, really good. Well, we are starting that Sunday night. Uh, some small groups like we started this this past week as well. And um, it was that very night. He was excited. Oh, I'd show up. So he showed up at, at my house. He and his, his wife did. And um, we happened to be studying the doctrines of grace. And so he showed up. He had no idea what this was. Kind of, what is this? And so I gave him a book called The Journey in Grace. How many have read Journey in Grace? Some of you have. Great, great book. Great book. Having a church library, boy, I encourage you to read it, get a copy. If you need a copy, I'll give you one for free. You just ask. We got a bunch of them. Anyway, he went to the Bible study that Sunday night, got that book. It's a really easy read. Read it that week, and then he called me, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> he said, "I do not believe the things written in that book." And the things written in the book simply is everything I've said: is that salvation is all of God. It is none of us. I mean, Ephesians 2.8.9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What's not of yourselves? The faith isn't of yourselves, so it's all by grace. So then we can't boast in anything. And so he says, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that at all. What he was saying is, I believe that I evaluated things, I saw, and I, I believed. He didn't believe Romans chapter 9, where it says it's not based upon him who wills and runs, but based upon God who has mercy. And then he told me on the phone, he says, uh, I, I, I can't be at your church because believing such things would be detrimental to my faith. And, and what he's saying that he said this, if I believe that God chose me and drew me to Him, then I'd just, I wouldn't pursue Him. I'd just kind of sit back and do nothing. I'd be lazy. I wouldn't do anything. And I tried in vain to explain my experience, both personally and corporately, of the power of the doctrines of grace to change people. I said, you know what, it's exactly opposite. I I have found it this, rather than stifling growth, the doctrines of grace are the very things that stimulate our growth in Him. Because we have found someone who has loved us unconditionally and He has forgiven us graciously. And what more can we do but to be so attracted to this God and pursue Him passionately? It gives us an eagerness. It gives a happiness and a kindness and a, a desire to serve and love such a God who's been so kind to us. But alas, it was in vain. Because you understand. Instead, wanted to possess something. No, it was me who did it. Rather than saying it's God who did it all. And that's why we are, we are here. Well, such is the nature of our church at Rock Valley Bible Church. We enjoy grace. We enjoy His grace. And, and the more I preach it, the more I know about it, the more the, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes. It's utter enjoyment to our souls. But it doesn't stop there. And I think too many times we can stop there. I, I'm guilty of just stopping there. But there's a purpose for us in in enjoying grace. It doesn't just end with us. We're not just a happy family, though we are a happy family. It goes beyond that, and this phrase, extend 
glory. I want to take these two words together. Rather than, I tried to take them apart. It didn't work in my message. So we're going to take them together. So we looked at enjoy. We looked at grace. Now we're going to look at extend glory. God is all about His glory. He created the world for His own glory. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Psalm 19, verse 1. Isaiah 6.3 says, The whole earth is full of His glory. When Jesus walked among us, we saw the glory of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. God in the flesh. We got to see the glory of God. And when Jesus returns, He will return in His glory. Matthew 25:31. And throughout all eternity, it will all be about the glory of God. We see in Revelation that those worshiping Him, not, not only the, the angels and the seraphim and the elders, the people, says to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be all, blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. That's the end of history. It's the glory of God. God created the world for His own glory. And we're called to acknowledge His glory. We are called, more than acknowledging it, we're called to bring others to acknowledge that same glory as well. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. It's a call there for all of us to lift high the glory of God. Isaiah says, God says in Isaiah 48, verse 11, My glory I will not give to another. This is our chief end in life, is to glorify God forever. And what is forever is our call today. It's not just in the future, but today is when we glorify the Lord. It's a call to spread it. Psalm 34, verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Picture there's a psalmist saying, hey you, why don't you come with me? Let us magnify the Lord together. Let us exalt Him. And that's what it means to extend His glory. is to be an influence on others so as to, to extend His glory, the influence over the, the whole earth. We spread His glory. I believe that's what Jesus was getting at in the Great Commission. When He says, all authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I mean, that's extending the glory when, when we go out and speak the Gospel and people believe and come to faith. God is glorified. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.7, it's the proof of your faith which endures through trials and shows itself genuine that will be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our faith will result in glory. When multitudes which no one can count are all around the throne saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, God is greatly glorified. See, Rock Valley Bible Church isn't merely just for us. Oh, it's nice. It helps us. It meets our spiritual need. But it's not primarily for us. Well, you know, it is for us, primarily. But it's not merely for us. That's the word I was looking for. It's not merely for us. We're beggars who found bread and we're called to go and tell others where the feast may be found. And I do believe this whole extending of the glory of God ought to help us remind us of these things. Our mission is to extend His glory. It's to to spread the glory of His name. And, And I do believe that having that phrase in your mind will help. 
Okay, let me share a failure this week I had. But let me show you how it's, how it's helping. I had an appointment yesterday, um, and I was, my car was a little empty, because my teenage driver, who's been driving all around, emptied it down, and she said, Dad, car is empty. So I'm like, okay. So I went out, and I was filling up my car. I was a little on the late side, so kind of in a hurry. But, but along comes another guy on the other side of the pump, and he kind of comes out. He's kind of one of these vivacious kind of guys. And he, he says, hey, how you doing? You know, and I said, oh, doing great. And then his um, girlfriend, I assume, I know, I know, later, doctor will come up. But, but she walks into the convenience store to get something. And, and I was in a hurry. But I, I was really thinking about, okay, I'm preaching today, extending his glory. How can I extend his glory in this situation? And so he's on the other side of the pump. I don't even see him, but I kind of sensed that they're like out of town. This was at State and Perryville, kind of where I filled up. And I said, oh, are you from out of town? Just kind of filling up, passing through? Are you a local? And then uh, he explained why he was so happy. He said, no, from Iowa City. And, and I'm here in town because that's my fiance. And um, well, I, I've got a diamond, but I need a setting of a ring. And, and then he told me about how the ring settings were all messed up in Iowa City. But he came to Grunos here on Perryville. Never know what you have in your backyard, but apparently he came to Grunos to to get this thing done, and he's right on his way back. And um, why he drove from Iowa City here, I'm not sure. Maybe got some tied with some. I don't. I don't know. But we didn't have to. I was I was kind of in a hurry, and uh, so I'm, I'm thinking to him. I I said, okay, how can I extend glory? And this is the best I did, and I could have done better. And I'll tell you how I could have done better. But I said to him, I said, I, I kind of went around. As I said, I got my receiving hand, got to go, and I said, well. I, I hope you find as much happiness in your marriage as I found in mine. And then he kind of said, well, I'm, I'm kind of nervous, but I, 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 think, I think I'll do okay. And then I got in my, my car and left, and as I was turning the corner on State Street, it hit me. You know what? I missed an opportunity to extend God's glory. And it hit me what I should have said, uh, what, I, what I should have followed up. And how many times do you have a conversation like that? You're like, oh, I missed it. And I'm just being honest with you, I missed it. I'm not, uh, you know, when I think of my evangelism, I think of extending His glory, I'm more filled with failures than I am with successes, that's for sure. But then, I mean, I should have said this. I should have said, you know, I've been married for 18 years, and here's my one piece of advice to you. You can take it or leave it. I said, love Jesus more than you love your wife, and you have a happy marriage. And then, I believe, whether he believed it or not, whether he embraced it or not, I do believe that that would have been extending God's glory. Uh, of just, just taking God in His glory, of how, he, how He's arranged marriage, Jesus, and how He's the marriage solver of problems, and how He can help, and, and do that. And whether he embraced it or not, God's glory would have been extended, and I wish I would have said that. I wasn't thinking. But I, I do think that if we have this phrase in our mind, that, that our mission as a church is to extend His glory, I think it can, it can be something that we can easily then speak with others about more easily. Then I went to a, a lunch meeting with a non-Christian. I had a chance to share the Gospel clearly with him. And it had in my mind, okay, what are we about? So I told him about a church and uh, what we're about. And I said, well, we just enjoy the grace of God and the, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. And then we're about taking the, the glory of God and extending that and spreading it. And it's just a real easy outline for me, kind of. I, I talked him through some things like that, and, and we can do better. But if that's in our mind, I think it will help us all. There are different ways, though, that glory can be extended. It can be extended in your own life. You need to eat and drink to the glory of God. You can 
eat and drink better to the glory of God as you learn God better in your own life. It can happen through direct evangelism, kind of like yesterday. Um, I had a chance just to speak with, with, with this man or could have happened, but this other appointment I did, I, I could have. It, it can happen even as we serve in the body. Remember Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, and by this all men will know that you're my disciples. As we love one another, people on the outside can look in and say, wow, that's weird, how'd that happen? You say, well, it's because we're disciples of Christ. You use that as an opportunity then to proclaim Jesus. The good opportunity this weekend at the Cross's home. Andy's putting a new roof on his house and to help him save money in an act of love. Many of us men are going to go and be on his roof and transform his roof starting Friday at noon, I think, to take it off and all day Saturday. It should hopefully be done. I know a lot of you men are involved in that. I do believe that's an opportunity to extend God's glory. Jesus said this, Let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good deeds and say what good people you are. That's not how it ends. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they might see what we do and that our actions then give glory to God. And so, we should live in such a way that we shine for others to see. And I think that it's going to create a stir in the Krauss' neighborhood. And the Krauss' then might have opportunities with neighbors to then speak about who all these people were. Well, they're people of our church and we just come to understand the grace of God. And so by their grace, they've come and helped me. And that's all it's about. We are, we are people who have been transformed by the Gospel of Christ to love and serve one another. And that just extends God's glory. Would you like to come to Rock Valley Bible Church? Sunday mornings we meet. And we have a small group that we meet in our homes. That's a way that just even uh, our, our care and love for one another can extend His glory as well. Well, Rock Valley Bible Church, we need to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. But I do believe there's a link, though, between these phrases. Enjoying grace and extending glory. And I do believe it's got to go in that order. You need to enjoy His grace first before you extend His glory. You might even say it this way. We enjoy His grace so we can extend His glory. There are many who do much about extending the glory of God without enjoying His grace. Rules-based, burdensome Christianity lacks joy. Oh, I'm extending God's glory, but I'm doing it on a duty. And that's not it. We need to enjoy His grace first. And from there, flow out of enjoyment to His grace, extending His glory because that is biblical Christianity, as um, David Platt says. And I can uh, quote that for you again, if I get it here. Uh, what did he say? I lost my page. He said... I can't find it. Anyway, he says, in every genre of all biblical literature, it's always the same. Got to... We enjoy grace and extend glory. I just want to show you just some instances of that. So, if your Bible's in your lap and closed, why don't you take it? Let's open up to Genesis 12. This is a Pauline finally, okay? <laughs> I'm like halfway through my message. This is a finally, okay? Don't worry, we'll be done in 15 minutes. Genesis 12. This is a great place to begin. It's where God's grace appears. It begins with a man named Abraham, living in Ur of the Chaldeans, in Iraq, um, the land of the Babylonians. God came to him. The Lord said to Abram, 
Genesis 12, verse 1. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show to you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the beginning of the nation of Israel. It began from Abram and it began more fundamentally with God's declaration to Abram that He's going to bless him. God would take this one man and build an entire nation from his seed. And it wouldn't be merely any nation. It would be, as verse 2 says, it would be a great nation. And the grace comes right there in verse 2. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Now, if you know anything about Abram, you know that he was not worthy of this blessing. It's not like he deserved this blessing. His family worshipped idols. Joshua 24, verse 2. Jewish tradition says that his family, his father Terah was an idol maker. That's what Jewish tradition says. And yet God pulled him out of there. Just said, I'm going to bless you. And, and if you know about the life of Abraham, even after this, he wasn't such the most righteous guy. He was a fearful guy. He lied to the authorities on several occasions. He wasn't just completely great and righteous and full of faith. He wasn't. But that's the point. God comes and chooses Abraham from all the peoples of the earth and says, I'll make you a great nation. And Abraham enjoyed the grace of God. Particularly enjoyed the grace of God in their son who was born when he was 100 and Sarah was 90. Isaac came along. And Yitzhak in Hebrew means joy and laughter and they enjoyed the grace of God. But notice here, the purpose of Abraham's life his name was later changed to, is not for him merely. It was also for us because it says here in verse 3 at the end, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the anticipation of the Gospel. That is the seed of Abraham in him from this Jewish man, the Messiah, Jesus eventually, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It was the grace to Abraham that then extended the glory of God to all peoples of the earth, to every nation and all tribes and all tongues and all peoples. The grace of Abraham he received was the means of the glory of God throughout the whole earth. Well, let's consider the account of the Exodus. Turn over to Exodus chapter 3. And we're just going to go right from front to back in our Bible. So, Exodus chapter 3. At this point, God is appearing to Moses and telling him it's going to take place in Egypt. Exodus 3.16. We read this. God telling Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So he said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will pay heed to what you say and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and your daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians." 
first of all, you need to know that this is sheer grace of God choosing to redeem Israel. They were slaves in Egypt, had no rights, no privileges, no hope. That's why we see them at the end of chapter 2, just crying out to the Lord, Oh God, help us! Remember your covenant, is what God says. He remembered His covenant. He took notice of them. In grace, God came and delivered them. Verse 16 says that He was concerned about them. That's grace. Why would He be concerned about these people? Well, He was, because it was promised to Abraham. God said that He would rescue them. Verse 17 and then in verses 18 through 22, he shows how God would, would cause them to leave Egypt as wealthy people, plundering the Egyptians because the power of God was so great, they'd be so afraid of God. They'd say, just get out of here. Here, I'll give you my gold. I'll give you my clothes. Just get out the door. That's grace. But the Exodus wasn't merely about the Israelites showing, enjoying the grace of God, which they did. It was about extending the glory of God. Look over in chapter 9, verse 16. Again, um, God speaking to Moses, who then speaks to Pharaoh. This is Moses saying, Pharaoh, indeed, God says, for this reason I have allowed you to remain in order to show you My power, in order to proclaim My name throughout all the earth. Says the whole reason why you're still here, Pharaoh, is a purpose so that I can show the world of my great power and I will get great glory for myself as my name goes forth. Look at chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I may perform these signs of mine among them and that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and their grandson how I made a mocker of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord. In other words, Israel enjoyed God's grace so they'd be able to extend God's glory talking about all the miraculous things they did in Pharaoh's, in the land of Egypt. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart so as to be able to spread His glory abroad. It's all in the context of a salvation redemption context. Why God is doing that. And indeed, they were, they were mocked in their plagues. They were mocked at the Red Sea. Look over here, Exodus chapter 14. The same theme comes up again. God's gracious to Israel and hardens Pharaoh so that God's got to do these things against Pharaoh. And in doing these things, God gets great glory. Exodus 14, verse 16. As for you, Moses... So he's, he's right here on the edge of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is following him. He says, as for you, Moses, lift up your staff and stretch, it, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it and the sons of Israel will go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will be honored through Pharaoh. Or some of your translations say, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I get glory over Pharaoh through his chariots and horsemen. You see that? It's grace to Israel. It's glory to God. And God's glory extended far beyond Egypt. Turn over to Joshua chapter 2. This is 40 years later. After they wandered in the wilderness for some time, about to come in, take the promised land, spies have come into Jericho. They meet a harlot named Rahab. 
She took two spies into her house and verse 9, Joshua chapter 2, says what she shared to them. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us all and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Again, going back, this story like propagated. And so they knew all about the glory of God and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. It's another story, but the same kind of thing. To Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted away and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Same thing is that the grace to Israel then became the means to extend the glory of God. Not only to Israel and their grandsons and their children, but also even beyond. And here, it's interesting is that, that many people of the conquered land knew full well of the power and honor and glory of God, even though they weren't submissive to His power, even though they fought the Israelites and later died, they still knew of His glory as it was extended. Alright, Psalm 67. Let's turn there. It's a great missionary psalm. The idea is the same. speaks of spreading the glory of God's salvation through the whole world. And I want you to see the means by which God spreads that glory. Psalm 67, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us that Your ways may be known on the earth, Your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For You will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. The earth has yielded its produce and God our God blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. Look at the missionary emphasis there about, about the, the peoples, all the peoples of the earth praising God. Verse 2, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. This is, this is an extending glory psalm. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 3, it's every nation. It's not just us. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let them enjoy grace as well. John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. They need to be worshipers. That's why they need to go with the message. That's why they need to hear so they can be glad and sing for joy. Verse 5, let all the peoples praise you. Again, it's everybody. It's not just the peoples. And then verse 7 says succinctly, that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. Oh, this is expanding the glory. This is extending the glory of God. God pours His grace upon us so we can extend His glorious salvation. And notice how the link comes. Verse 1, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause Your face to shine upon us. God, let us know grace, we say. Let us enjoy grace. Verse 7 says the same way. God bless us and God does bless us. But there's that link, right? There's a, the link between enjoying His grace and extending His glory. God blesses us, as verse 7 says, so that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. It's the pattern of the early church. Acts chapter 4. Turn over to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 2, we read of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church at Pentecost. People were speaking in tongues. You're like, whoa, what's happening? Gave Peter a platform to preach the Gospel. He preached and 3,000 people repented of their sins and believed. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal this lame beggar. This man is a notorious beggar at the gate. Gets up, leaping and bouncing and praising God. 
gives Peter another opportunity to preach, another 2,000 believe. And this disturbance alarmed the religious establishment of the day and they arrest Peter and John because they were proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They brought them to jail, put them in night, and then the next morning they come, they stand before these people. The question is, by what power, what name are you doing this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said this, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders which became the chief cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. And there in preaching the Gospel like this, the, 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 the glory of God was being extended And here it's interesting also, it's not just reaching the people, many of whom believed, but it's even reaching the religious establishment as as God's glory is going forth in the the glories of the Gospel. But now note the connection between Peter's boldness and his experience. I do believe that he was so bold because he enjoyed the grace of God. Look at verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to realize and recognize them as having been with Jesus. This is what I'm talking about. Peter enjoyed the grace of Jesus. Remember who Peter was? He was the one who pledged, even if all die, I will die with you. Even if all fall away, I will, I will die with you. I will be faithful to you, Jesus. And then he turned away when Jesus was being tried by the, the Sanhedrin. But later in John chapter 21, we see Jesus restoring Peter into the ministry. We see him experiencing and I believe enjoying the grace of God in his life. Being with Jesus, as verse 13 says, gave him then the boldness to extend his glory. And verse 14 extends the story. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another saying, what should we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so they will not speak any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they would summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So no more speaking in the name of Jesus. But look at what they did. They said, no, our experience and the grace that we receive compels us. We can do no other. That's why it's important to enjoy the grace of God first and then we extend the glory. Watch what happens. He says, verse 19, Peter and John answered to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We've seen resurrection from the dead. We've seen this man who was dead come to life and we have known, experienced his grace and we can do nothing else. And I do believe that when you truly experience and enjoy the grace of God, you can do nothing else but extend the glory of God as well. And look at the praise that takes place in verse 21 and 22. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis in which to punish them. And on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened, for the man was more than 40 years old whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So you see God's glory there being extended that all the people were glorifying God. And I think it all begins by Peter and John, the disciples, in three years experiencing and enjoying the grace of God. Okay, one last verse, and we'll be short on this one. We could go to others, 
like others in my mind, 1 Timothy 1, 12-17 would be a great passage. Paul just says, I've known the grace of God and therefore I am proclaiming the glory of God. Galatians 1, 15 and 16 is another passage. Paul gives his testimony as well. God, God was merciful on me and I, that's why I'm a, a preacher. But we're going to 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. This is a picture of enjoying God's grace and extending God's glory. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I mean, grace is all over this passage. The fact that these are Jews and Gentiles to whom he was writing. These are aliens who are scattered throughout all these places. Um, they were called Gentiles, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. These are titles of the Jewish people. And it applies now to everyone in the church. Jew and Gentile alike. That's grace right there. And then it's spelled out in verse 10. You once were not a people, right? You're far from the people of God. But now you're in. You once were out, but now you're in. One time you had no, nothing but wrath. You didn't know the mercy of God, but now you have received mercy. You were out, and now you're in. It's talking there about you've, you've experienced Grace. And what's the, what's the fruit of experiencing grace? It's extending glory. Look at the last part of verse 9. You are these things so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and His marvelous light. In other words, the purpose and the reason why God shows grace to us and why He takes us from the outside and brings us in and why He shows us mercy, why He brings us into the people of God is so that we might proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. And that's the way that you can extend His grace. And I just encourage you, Rock Valley Bible Church, as you meet with people who are not Christians, just proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Speak about how great He is. Think about, speak about how you found forgiveness in Him. Think about what He's done on the cross. And think about His person, His being, His sinless behavior. And proclaim His excellencies. And as you do that, whether people believe or not, you're still extending the glory of God. That's a good way for us to say it, I believe. Rock Valley Bible Church, we enjoy His grace. We extend His glory. You might even say we enjoy His grace so that we can extend His glory. That way, I think we'll say it here. Time, not to say that's what's going to be in stone forever, but it is a way I think for us to say. So, can you say it together? Rock Valley Bible Church exists to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that both those things would be true in our lives. Help us to enjoy Your grace. Oh, help us to see, as Paul did, the utter, utter unmerited grace that His salvation was. May we see that. And may we enjoy that as we know that we can come to You forgiven, 
wiped clean, made holy. Not because of anything that we do. There's no condemnation now for us who are in Christ. And may we live like that. May we enjoy our freedom. And then also, God, I pray that You'd help us to extend Your glory. Use Rock Valley Bible Church and use us in this room to be speakers on Your behalf, to tell of Your mighty deeds, to explain the glories of Christ, to lift up His excellencies, to proclaim the excellencies of God. And that can happen in many different ways, both in our lives, as our body serves and ministers one another, so we speak with others who don't know Christ. Help us, O Lord, to extend Your glory, to use this in a way that we can delight in because You are are bringing more people to praise You. And that's what we want. And so help us, O Lord, we pray. We need Your help in Christ's name. Amen.